0: face-to-face. So my next interview is with Tamara DeWitt. We talk about her new film, Finding Sally. You'll be able to see that on CBC Docs. It's on the documentary channel. And I trust that uh, it's going to get international distribution in the not-so-distant future. And and, uh, this is a film that Tamara wants to get into the hands of all the right people and isn't that the goal of uh, most uh, documentarians and filmmakers and storytellers of, of any kind really this is a film about family it's a film about trust and broken trust it's a political film it's 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 a, it's a mystery in a, in a way it's it's a bit of a i was going to say it's a detective novel it's not a detective novel it's a detective sort of like story where 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 tomorrow I had to go in and do some pretty intimate significant and deep research into what was going on in Ethiopia in the late 60s and 70s what was going on in Canada as well as you'll find the two are connected for uh, tomorrow's family and she goes back home and she interviews uh, her aunts uh, to find one of her sort of missing aunts that she didn't hear too much about from her past and her own story and so we talk about uh, the politics of the time we talk about pushing back and about social and political and 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 democratic change and we talk about why these things matter we talk about why family stories matter we talk about memories and 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 how we've been sort of um you know conditioned to think in a particular way and to not necessarily go back and peel back those layers to find out what came before us and find those you know see those dots and how they actually connect and and so this is um a difficult time in history for, for frankly, for the world, but for Ethiopia in particular during this uh, period. And uh, so, s- stick with us, and, and I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. But I think you're going to enjoy the film uh, even more. So, uh, Finding Sally, CBC Docs, uh, check it out, and stay tuned for the interview with tomorrow coming right up. Um, and don't forget uh, DavidPeckLife.com for more information about my writing and my speaking. Uh, you can buy a copy of Real Changes Incremental there and certainly would echo some of the messages that are coming through in the film uh, today uh, in our conversation that Tamara and I have. And um, don't forget, too, uh, face-to-face-live.ca. By the time you hear this, I think there could well uh, be over uh, 500 interviews on the site, and we're pretty excited about that. And you can advertise with us. You can sign up for our email newsletter. You can support us through Patreon. We would appreciate any or all of the above. And if you can't do any of those things, please consider leaving a Review for us on iTunes and spread the word digitally. Send the interview to your friends and your family. Share it on social, share it on Facebook, and sign up for the newsletter and help us get word on the street about face-to-face. We're pretty excited about what we're doing here, and we're hoping to continue it for quite a long time time. So stay tuned and um yeah, coming right up and and don't forget uh, rabble.ca another platform where I exist for a whole whole host of other writers and thinkers and bloggers and 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 uh, journalists uh, writing about uh, news for the rest of us. Stay tuned, coming right up, Tamara Dewitt talking about her new film Finding Sally. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here today with us uh, in a a completely different time zone in another part of the world. We have Tamara Dawit here with us to talk about her new film, Finding Sally. Uh, Tamara, thank you so much uh, for your time today and for joining us here on Face to Face.
1: No, thank you for making time to talk to me
0: so so we've got uh we've got a few kilometers between us uh we've got uh a covid crisis uh, that's providing some context for this conversation as well and 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 we've got a film that 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 that's full of meaning for you i would think personally and from from a, you have a very big family by the way um and 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 also there's this just this political import it seems to me to the film as well I'd love for you to to just sort of provide a little bit of context you know before we step into to chatting more about the film and 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 by the way congratulations um on the film
1: thank you thank you well I guess you know in terms of a bit of the context um maybe even about me I'm an Ethiopian Canadian Um, I grew up in Ottawa, I lived in Toronto for 15 years and then now I've really been sort of living um, out of my suitcase I guess between Canada and Ethiopia and one of the real um, driving forces for me to start spending more time in Ethiopia was to work on this film and this film really follows the story of of my family um, because I found out that I had an aunt that no one had ever told me about. And in finding out about this Aunt Sally it was really the, the catalyst for the whole film. And she made a look at both contemporary um, Ethiopian history and going back a little bit into the 1970s, into the, the time in Ethiopia of the overthrow of Emperor Haile Selassie um, and a period when Sally disappears. So this film is my um, investigation into what happened to Sally and really why my family wasn't talking about her and it was an opportunity for me to realize that this isn't really a story that is specific only to my family it's something that has impacted most families in Ethiopia
0: so it's kind of interesting that you say that about about most families in Ethiopia and i think it's part of part of the world that a lot of folks don't know a great deal about and and i think and thanks for that for me too just providing some Uh, history and context to to what was happening at the time and and uh, I've as my listeners know I've spent a fair bit of time in Southeast Asia with the work that I do and so I'm very familiar with Cambodian history for instance and and the Mm -hmm. Khmer Rouge and it was around the same time you know the late 60s Vietnam War into the 70s the late 70s and then of course the Ethiopian famine and and so that was really great for me to to get that so and thanks but but so it's a family film for you but but it seems like it's so much more than that.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I think my, my motivations to, to make this film, like, I mean, when I started trying to research about Sally, I didn't know it was going to be a film. I just knew that, that I wanted to know more. And I wanted to, to understand why there was this sort of culture of silence Mm. um, within my family and within other families. But I also you know, thought it was an opportunity for audiences outside of Ethiopia, who, of course, you know, will also watch the film, to try and understand what are the stories, um, you know, the histories and the background of, you know, Ethiopians in your community, Ethiopians who are your co-workers, um, who may be your neighbors, because specifically in Canada, I know that Ethiopians are I think, if not the largest, the second largest um, Black African population. So there's a lot of us there. And I think, you know, through mainstream Canadian media and and culture, we don't really have a good understanding about what um, has driven Ethiopians to, to flee and to migrate to countries like Canada. So I hope that this film also, I think, gives a bit of context to that, because really, um, you know, the only thing we hear about Ethiopia is about famine, and of course, you know, there's much more to to the story of the country than just uh, that.
0: You know, it's interesting that you say that about the second largest population in Canada. And, I, and it's just I, what I love about documentary film, and I say this almost every time I interview someone, is the is the layers uh, to to the stories, and it's just a reminder to me how all of us have. You know, complicated, paradoxical pasts. Some of them are, are, are more difficult than others. And but we all have stories, you know, to tell and things to learn from and memories and so on. And 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 I love that. Um, I'm going to use the word commiserative, but that that aspect of it that sort of builds this this global community. We really are all connected in in one way or another. And for me, your film has all of a sudden, in just a matter of minutes, become a film about new Canadians. And 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 for for a Canadian like myself who's lived here all my life to say hang on a minute here these folks are coming with sometimes crazy difficult emotional violent stories they're leaving families to come here to 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 build new lives and I, I did did you have that sense going into this film as well was that something that you were hoping to accomplish or or, or was that more of something a uh, sort of something you came to after the fact.
1: I mean, I think that growing up, I never really understood or really um, questioned why, you know, my father's family, which is Ethiopian, why they were living in Canada, because I always um, grew up hearing these sort of exciting and fun stories about, you know, life in Ethiopia, because my grandfather was a diplomat. They lived in in Ghana, Nigeria, and Sudan, and then ultimately came to Canada when when the first Trudeau wanted to establish stronger diplomatic ties for Ethiopia, and that meant opening an embassy in Canada. And that's why my family came to Canada. But sort of lost in all those stories was the idea of why did they stay? And I think it really wasn't until... Um, I was doing this film and having conversations with my aunts and with my grandmothers that I actually realized and understood that my grandparents really raised my father and his sisters with this, this idea that you may be growing up outside of Ethiopia because of my job, because I'm a diplomat, or you may be outside of Ethiopia because you're pursuing, you know, university or you're getting you know some sort of other training, but, the impetus is that afterward you learn and you go back and you develop and you better your country. But because of the revolution, that didn't happen. Mm. And that was sort of the, you know, just the piece that I found very interesting that no one ever, ever really dug into in terms of the family history. They just talked about, we grew up here and we went there and then we moved to Canada and then suddenly we're in present day. And it was kind of like this, this part of the the collective memory of my family that was just glossed over. And of course now it's very um, apparent to me that for the most part, they didn't go back because it wouldn't have been safe to do that.
0: You talk about collective memory. It's really interesting. There's a line near the early, uh, early in the film about being safer to, and I think it might've been you narrating. I'm not sure at this point, but safer to forget than to remember. And, can, can you talk a little bit about that? And and I I felt like I sensed a little bit from some of your aunts that maybe they weren't totally crazy about this film you were making. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong on that, <laughs> but I wondered about some. And then is it Menby that the, is the keeper of the family stories, which is wonderful, by the way. If uh, you know the fact that your family has somebody like that, I think is just brilliant, um, and and a reminder for all of us that we need to be keeping our stories somewhere, whether it's, you know, a diary or a photo or a film or uh, an oral tradition, whatever the heck it is. But yeah, can you talk a little bit about that memory and the pain and the trauma and, 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 and is it safer just to forget about it and, and walk away?
1: I mean, I think for myself, I mean, I'm very blunt and that's <laughs> right. I think much more my Canadian and, and you know my Canadian upbringing. I don't think that blunt uh, and a little and traditionally... a little
0: sarcastic and maybe a little sarcastic too. Is that is there a little sarcasm in there as well?
1: Maybe, maybe sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think I'm more direct, and I, I tell people like, "This is how I feel," um, and "This is what I think." And I found, you know, from living in Ethiopia, that you know, even though my aunts lived abroad for many years, there's still this underlying culture um, of maybe not expressing your emotions that much and, and sort of saying what may be the thing that's accepted to say. So I think for me, when I look at my film and I think back at you know, the interviews that my aunts and my grandmother gave, um, I do feel like they're remembering Sally through, through a lens that they're comfortable with. So they're each giving me their own version of their sister um, and I think, you know, to the other question you raised about their their level of comfort or interest in taking part, um, I think it was also really because when I found out about Sally, some of the first conversations I had were with my grandmother. And I think that gave my grandmother the chance to sort of reflect and realize that by not talking about Sally and the fact that I was 30 when I found out about her, that that's a huge piece of the family memory that's been lost. Mm, And that Sally, you know, had a certain um, agenda and and motivation to make Ethiopia a better country. And that is something that the younger generations like me um, should not miss out on understanding. So it was really my grandmother that said, we need to do this. The generations to come in our family need to know about Sally other, you know, young people in Ethiopia need to know about what happened in the 1970s and why that happened, so that they can learn about that and learn from that to to create a better society. So it was really, you know, my grandmother saying we're going to do this, and then the sort of uh, willing and and unwilling command performance of the rest of the family right. to sort of fall in line. Um, but I think you know, even though it was difficult to talk about her. Um, you know, some of my aunts certainly are not really that comfortable with being filmed. It was also, I think, if you went back and asked them now, something that was also therapeutic because it gave them the opportunity to think about their sister um, and to process that. And I feel hopefully to come out of it, um, I guess, with a, with a better way to, to think about her and to remember her.
0: Yeah, it's inter- it really is interesting. And it's certainly something I've I've uh, interviewed other d- uh, filmmakers about uh, over the last five or six years, uh, documentarians particularly, but this this idea of collective memory and, and this whole idea of remembering so that you sort of can forget, you know, remember to forget, in a sense, so that you can sell not not just celebrate, but, but, but manage and work through, you know, that that trauma. And I, I certainly come from a family that that didn't really do that, and a lot of, you know, uh, history that was sort of swept under the carpet, if, if you know what I mean. And I think, I think a lot of us are from that kind of a. a um, a worldview or a context, I guess, you know, where it was better. You know, I was interviewing somebody recently and and an investor and, and uh, a guy who works with international NGOs and, 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 and offering up uh, advice to people during this COVID crisis. What do you do? How are we going to make it to the next paycheck, et cetera. And he was talking about these cultural taboos about, oh, gee, you know, you don't, you don't talk about finances. Well, if you don't talk about finances, you sure don't talk about your sister's, you know, uh, revolutionary past right. And yet I feel Mm -hmm. like you've sort of taken on this personal story and said to the world, Hey, we we should all kind of be doing this. This is to me, this for me, finding Sally's a bit of a, a shout out to and a challenge to others to say, Hey, maybe it's time to peel back a few layers in your own life.
1: Yes, certainly. And I mean, that's a big part of my, my interest and motivation with making this film specifically, um, you know, for Ethiopians in Ethiopia, um and also Eritreans and, and those who are living, you know, in the diaspora. Uh, because I feel like we tend to sort of gloss over history. Um, we don't look at things and we don't we don't learn from our past. And I mean one of the things I found really bizarre in starting to research this film, I went to the university here in Ethiopia and I thought like maybe I can find like a PhD student or a master's student who's studying this period. And I spoke to to the Dean of history and I said you know I'd like to have someone to work with me in my company and he said no we don't study that mm. and I thought that was you know so telling of like how does a country look at our past his response was like that's not important uh, we study ancient history so he you know studies you know the ancient kingdoms in Ethiopia you know before the time of Christ because that's what's been been given value here as a place to, to learn from and um, something that's important to remember. But anything that's happened, I think, in the last, you know, 20, 30, or 50 years has not been prioritized in the same way. And of course, it's also political. What your political ideology, and how you view the country now and then, of course, will change how you look at those things. But I think it's a huge missed opportunity for critical thought and conversation that's really important for Ethiopians to be having.
0: Is that kind of a top-down thing, or is that bottom-up? Is that sort of cultural, like, uh, you know, would you say most Ethiopians feel the same way, or is it being kind of imposed ideologically to say, hey, you know what, let's just not talk about this, and let's not study it, and let's not go on talk shows about it and not write about it in editorials and so on, and and kind of, as you say, glossed over. Is is it sort of understood that that's the way things are? I
1: mean, I feel like it's, it's maybe a bit of like a cultural hangover from right. the communist period because the, the dictatorship that took over after the emperor was overthrown in 1974, um, wow. these were communists. or these are people who were taking communist ideology so that they could have a closer relationship with Russia. So that meant, you know, if someone in your family died um, during their, their period of leadership, it would be, and I'm not talking about someone who's died from natural causes. someone who was seen as politically opposed to the government, um, someone who was in a group like the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Party that Sally was a member of, if someone died in circumstances connected to that, it would not be possible or safe for you to mourn them, because you'd basically be, be acting against the government. So I think it's Small indications like that that told people it's not safe um, or perhaps wise to, to remember those things and to talk about them publicly. So I think it's really only been in the last 10 years that this idea of looking at um, the DerV period and looking at the red terror, which was you know, the period of sustained violence and state-sponsored killing across the country, that's very new. And I think that that started partially because the government supported the opening of a museum that is a memorial to the red tear. So even though, you know, that's a great museum, um, they helped me a lot with the film, but that is a museum looking at that period from a perspective that is politically okay with the current government. So I think that starting up, then people started releasing books um, there's been another film that came out, a dramatic film about a decade ago. So I think people are starting to come out. That I really want with this film to ex- encourage people to talk about this more, and for people to also, you know, dissect this moment and what does it mean for us now.
0: I love that you, uh, you make the point of, and I, I don't remember which which aunt or which sister it was, but you know, our our the line was our conversations were were always political. Um, and I think it was when your family was living in Ottawa, or at least part of your family was living in ottawa and you couldn 't help not to be political, I suppose during that that time in some respects uh, living in a uh, the capital of Canada and so on but but is it is there a sense in which you want people to become? would you say, you know, you, you kind of wrap up the film talking about the future and change, and I also love the, the fact that, you know, Sally believed in climbing the tallest mountain. It sounds like, you know, to me that you do too, yeah. and I, I would, I'm i with you on that, by the way. Um, is that the challenge? Is that the push? Uh, let's not just watch the film. Let's not just think about it and have a coffee, but let's actually peel back the layers and step into this and, and see what's next.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think definitely for... Um, Ethiopian viewers. That is, I want what I want to have happen. I want this film to trigger um, critical thought and sort of intergenerational conversation. So, if you're someone who's 20 or 30 or 40 who wasn't, you know, alive in the 1970s, I want you to watch the film and then go and w- ask an elder in your family um, about, you know, what happened to you during that period, and then, you know, to share, start to share those stories. But also to start to think about, you know, what is the the future that you want for your country? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, what is the sort of uh, systemic change that you're looking for? Because Ethiopia is, is heading into an election. And I think this is an important opportunity to look at what's happened in the past with the, the democratic process or the, the lack of a democratic process and think about what can we take from the young people in the 1970s? Because for me, I mean, I can't vote in Ethiopia. I'm a Canadian. Um, but in researching Sally, I found that a lot of the the ideology um, and the hope and the aspirations of her group, to me, really still resonates today.
0: That's fascinating, because I was I was going to ask you, I love that notion of resonance. And I was going to say, you know, did you, so a couple questions here, I suppose. Did you, did you, Come across any sort of pushback, you know, to your research into the film, and and as you got in a little deeper, or I mean, it's probably a bit of both, but or did you find people saying, "Hey, you know, we're with you. This is a great. This is great. We we're, 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 we kind of feel the same way, but we were waiting for somebody to take the lead." If, if does that make sense?
1: Um, I mean, I think I spent a really long time, you know, doing research and trying to to track down people who were part of this um, political organization and Sally's comrades because of course the perspective that my aunts have and my grandmother is very much from the outside looking in they weren't with Sally when she went underground um, so they don't really know what she was doing so I felt that it was important for me to do you know research by talking to her to her comrades talking to, Um, the other members of the EPRP to try and understand not only what Sally was doing, but what was their mission, what was their mandate, um, how were they trying to effect change. And I think that that certainly was a very important process, but also a very slow one, Hmm. because this is still um, a political organization that's active today, Um, There's still, you know, there's been splinters within the group, but they're still largely um, in opposition to the current government in Ethiopia. Um, And, of course, I think they were initially suspicious about who was I and and what was I trying to do. Um, And, of course, when you're in a clandestine organization like that, you don't use your real name. Um, You don't talk about your family members. And even though Sally did some of those things... For the most part, her comrades didn't know that she had a brother, so it was also confusing. Why is this woman contacting me to say uh, she she's the relative of, of Sally? But I didn't know Sally had a brother, who she's saying is her father. So I think it was, you know, a snowball effect of once I won over one person. Um, and they were okay with my intentions. Then you know they would introduce me to someone else. But there's certainly still you know other people who never responded to me or um, never followed up because I think there was this underlying um, suspicion. And I'm sure now that once more people start to see the film, I'll be contacted by more people that have you know other memories to do with Sally.
0: So, so that raises a question about sort of post-film, post-festival run, post-showing in the museum, and so on. I'd love to talk about that in a couple of minutes, but can you can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, that suspicion, you know, clandestine—such a great word, you know. And one of your aunts talks about the, the the notion of scientific socialism. To me, it seems like one sort of communist group pushing back, and and maybe this is unfair, but communist group pushing back against a hyper sort of communistic group. And, and it really became about power and the Red Terror. It sounds horrifying and the Derg and so on. But, but the scientific socialism, you know, break, breaking things down, breaking down the family. Um, um, there was a phrase, I think, that one of your aunts talked about, which meant to point, you know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out, you know? And so, so that, to me, just, I mean, continues to break down trust and relationships and community. And so who could you, who could you go to Right. So I would imagine some of that is still very much, you used the word resonating earlier and I would think very much still a part of the culture. So, so yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I think what you're referring to is a clip um, in the film where one of my aunts sort of talks about how the Derg um, really asserted their power or their, their grip on society. And that was using this term of, of, Scientific socialism to really break, you know, the connections um, within households in Ethiopia.
0: And the and tomorrow, you know, to, the, the Derg were the were the not the not the uh, EPRP. They were the ones pushing back the coup, sort of against uh, Selassie the Emperor, and and so on. Just to give a little more history.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the thing to also clarify there is maybe that you know the Emperor was really. Overthrown because there was a, a populist movement among, you know, students and workers who were looking for democratic change, mm. country. Got it. But what happened, you know, amidst all of these protests, the army came in and sort of used the opportunity to take control. Um, and of course, it was people quickly realized that the army doesn't necessarily have the best intentions of the people front of mind. And the army is not um, really a communist um, based group or they don't have the full communist right. ideology. That yep. was what was driving the student movement. So the army really, you know, snuck in and took power and then groups like the EPRP that Sally was a part of stood up and said, you know, this is not what we signed up for. This is not what we agree with. And we want to move towards a democratic government and then started um protesting against that DERG uh, military dictatorship.
0: Which then led to, well, I mean, it sounds so simple, but very complicated, but led to the Red Terror.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I guess to come back to your your earlier question about the, the idea of how they, they broke down the bonds within society, I mean, a really a clear example that my aunt gives in the film is the idea of breaking the connection between them, um, children and their parents or or young people and their elders who normally a young person would listen to their elder Um, but now you're told by the government you don't have to listen to them you can you know do what you want and then also making it difficult for people to access religion so making it difficult for people Mm -hmm. to go to church and you know through even a very simple thing like saying on Sundays you can't drive your car. And Sunday the other day that people would drive to church because this is a, you know, country where 50% of the population are Orthodox Christians. And on Sunday after church, you would drive to see your family. Suddenly, if you're not allowed to drive, this has become a very sort of simple way to start eating away at those um, family and, and community connections. And the Care was really um, an opportunity where people were were encouraged to to tell on their neighbors, to report on, you know, someone who you see on your street, someone who you see in your family who may or may not be doing something that is somehow against the government. And I think there's, um, as I said earlier, a lot of sort of hangover, mm. you know, from those per- that period that still, you know, exists today. I find even for something um, as simple as going to like register a business, Um, or signing a lease for your house, there just seems to be this extra level of of bureaucracy that so many people have to be involved and so many people have to see what you've done or what you're doing to know that it's true, because there's this underlying notion that people can't be trusted.
0: Yeah, I've uh, you know doing the work that I've done over the years. I've worked in some countries that have have uh, uh, a similar edge that bureaucracy. I mean, there's bureaucracy everywhere, obviously, and I guess we get used to what we live, I suppose. But you uh, when you travel and you see other worldviews and other perspectives, it really does have an impact on on how how, how well it should have an impact, I suppose, uh, uh, on how you see the world. But that that um, almost that pre-communist era, you know, or post, I should say, communist era, and that latent kind of lack of trust. One of the things I had noticed about Cambodia many, many years ago was that it seemed like there was this sense, this, this inability to trust others, and and uh, you have to think, you have to ask those questions. This is why it's so fascinating to me, you know, your comment about schools and academia not looking at this period in a really sustained, intentional way, and and the hope is that, you know, ultimately that they will, because isn't that the way to actually come to terms with with you know um, these issues, this trauma, this past, and and actually move into a you know a, a progressive, um, progressive and positive change, if if that makes sense. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, certainly. Certainly. And I think there's a lot of similarities between you know what happened in Ethiopia. Um, around the time of the revolution and after and what happened in Cambodia, or even if you look, you know, further back um, at, at the Russian revolution, mm. there's, you know, similar things that are happening. In sure.
0: Hey, listen, um, we're, we're going to need to wrap up in a few minutes and, and that's, it's too, too bad. And you're going to go into your afternoon and e- evening there uh, uh, on the other side of the world. And I'm just starting my day here. Um, t- tell me about transcendental meditation. And how that had an impact on uh, not only your research but your family and and, and Sally and so on.
1: I don't know. Well, I don't Fasc- know. That I fascinating, know a lot about fascinating meditation. part of the story,
0: <laughs> but fascinating part of the story, by the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not not an expert on meditation. I don't think I have the patience for it. Um, but one of my aunts. Um, She's a meditation teacher. She's been teaching meditation since since the early nineteen seventies. Um, and I think you know if you look at all of my aunts and how how they survived um, and how they they dealt with what happened to the family in the seventies and eighties. Um, I think you know her because she had meditation to fall back on. Um, certainly, certainly was an assistance to her. Um, and I think. You know, that's perhaps one of the reasons why maybe she managed to to stay in Ethiopia and, and to live through all of the horrible things that were happening um, around her in the late 1970s, because it really gave her um, strength or rock, I guess, uh, in the same way that for many people religion would do the same
0: and one of your uh some fascinating photos in the film too about the yogi and meeting with uh, the the emperor and so on and one of your aunts is, is is quite an artist and i love i love that scene of the paints and the brushes and again once again i mean another that's a for, for form of meditation right it seems to me
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, definitely i think um probably all of my aunts have their own way um you know, of dealing with these things right. and the ways that it, it manifest, manifests in their lives and, and through their personalities.
0: So uh, the film wraps up with the monument and your work and all this research and, and where, where, where where next for you with this story? Obviously COVID and it's going to probably change how you distribute the film and it's going to be airing on April 30th uh, coming up uh, in the not so distant future on CBC. And what's not, what's really important is that it will still be there for people to see post um, opening night. Um, Yeah. Can you, can you talk about what's next? where, how this might have an impact um, academically? Uh, could 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 the film be used in schools? I mean, are, are you thinking along those lines?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely thinking about doing those things um, specifically in Ethiopia to mm-hmm. make sure that there is access to the film beyond the TV broadcast here. And so that means, um, because the film right now is largely in English, we're in the process but well, we were in the process before we had this, this uh, work shut down because of COVID of right. dubbing the film so that the film is available in some of the oh, great. Uh, larger languages that are spoken here in Ethiopia so that it's much more accessible for things like community screenings, um, for screenings in the cinema, in the Red Terror Memorial Museum, to try and do outreach and discussion around the film in schools. So that sort of really... Um, my plan and my focus for for the coming months. And I'm using this time of being locked down at home right now to really work on ironing out some of those details because I think remembering um, and looking back at the Red Terror is much more than just one film. I want to mm. encourage and try to document um, other people's memories so that there is um, much more of an archive of content about this period that, is, that we have kept um, as a country and as a society.
0: I love that notion of documenting memories, and maybe that's a good place to sort of wrap it up for us today. I mean, there's always so much more to talk about tomorrow. I mean, it's just I love the, the layers that you peel back, and this is such a, such a great film, such, a, such a, a complicated and difficult story, and yet you've, you've brought it to life in a, in a way for us to see. And I think, again, great, what a, what a brilliant um, medium documentary film is to to challenge all of us yes it's informative and it's historical and isn't it interesting to know more about what happened right those are great things but Mm -hmm. but i love that for well, for me anyway, that that you've challenged me this idea of 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 memory and of our own story, and uh, I think for I mean, there's so many favorite moments for me, but the 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 notion that every family should have a keeper of the family story is 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 probably my one of my my favorite takeaways from from your film. Um, well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. I, I really appreciate you be, being with us here on face to face and, and congratulations again on the film. And I'll, uh, I'll be definitely, uh, uh, we'll be doing some shout outs about it and making sure people know where they can find the film on online. And, um, so so so. What's next for you, other than focusing on the film? As has COVID got you? Uh, uh, you've got a, you've got your own production company, don't you, as well? Or you, you guys must be working on a few things in pre-production. And what's what's the future looking like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do production work for other Ethiopian filmmakers. So I have two um, Ethiopian directors I'm working with oh, right amazing. now. Uh, but luckily, they're writing, so they're writing okay. their scripts, and we're writing funding applications, so that's okay. Um, we do have some uh, films we were co-producing with with European companies that are sort of put on hold until it's safe to start shooting right, again there. Right. And then, uh, myself, I've started i started working on on the research and writing for my next documentary. So Amazing. it's a bit of a slower time, but it's also you know as busy as ever.
0: Well, that's great. Well, stay safe and and be well, and thank you for your film. We've been talking with Tamara DeWitt about her new film, Finding Sally. Uh, Thanks thanks for joining us today on, on Face to Face, Tamara. Thank you so
1: much.